Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. Now, today we're going to talk about something that is really, really important to me and I think actually should be vital to anyone's business. And that is the idea that too many people in business look at resumes and CVs and all they do is they look for the skills to check off against any given job role. What they don't do is look at the person and more importantly, they don't always look at the passion that that person has for the business. And with me today, helping me to discuss this and delivering three fantastic actionable tips at the end is someone who has created a business that he is so, so passionate about, someone who has succeeded by following his passion. And I'm really, really looking forward to digging into this with my guest today, Mr. Alan Alt. Welcome, sir. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm very excited. It is a real pleasure. We were talking in the pre-interview chat about me uh, destroying your surname with my broad northern accent, so I apologize. <laughs> it's it's not a broad northern accent. They do it here in America as well, so so don't feel bad, Mark. It sounded perfect. Oh, you sweet talker. <laughs> I love it. So, Alan, before we dive into this topic, let's just talk about Ultimate Hoops, because first of all, the name is unbelievably cool. I wish I had a business called Ultimate Something. And <laughs> I just want to talk about that and specifically around the passion that you have for it. Where did it come from and what does it do and where, you know, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, when you call yourself ultimate anything, it certainly set, sets uh, expectations high. So, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll start all the way back in the beginning. So just to give some background on me, I was, I was born and raised in a small town about 30 miles south of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I uh, graduated from the University of Minnesota. And within a few weeks, I took all my items, threw them all in a car and uh, moved from Minneapolis to New York City. And I moved to New York with with mild aspirations to be a writer, but really I just wanted to live in New York. I'd never been there before. The only thing I really knew about New York was in movies and photos, and it just felt like the ultimate challenge to, to go in New York and, and try and make it there. So I was there, I sent out resumes for six or eight months, continued to get rejected, rejected, rejected. Uh, finally found an entry-level position at Turner Broadcasting and worked there for a couple of years and then moved on and accepted a position at Discovery Communications, uh, working for Discovery Channel and TLC in their marketing and sponsorship business. And I was there for six years. I was happy, happy there. But then I had uh, three kind of tragic events happened in the span of 18 months, which kind of set me on the path to starting Ultimate Hoops. Uh, it started in July 2001 when my dad passed away uh, suddenly from a heart attack at the age of 58. Um, and then we had 9-11 that happened in New York. Um, and then I lost my mother the previous year. So those three ring things really kind of knocked the wind out of me. I stayed at Discovery for a year, but I realized I wanted to make a change in my life because my normal pattern, my normal life just made me miss my parents, miss my previous life even more. So I decided to really sink the ships on what I was doing and go after what I was passionate about. Um, and it turned out to be, to be basketball. So I had the idea for Ultimate Hoops 
uh, in 2005, I started to float the idea around to, to family and friends. And they all looked at me like, you are completely nuts. Like they didn't really understand the concept. They all thought I was crazy. Uh, a friend of mine said to me, you know, you're this successful executive in New York and now you want to start a basketball company. Another friend of mine said to me, you're not even that good at basketball. Like, how can you even run a basketball company? <laughs> so, um, but you know, in my mind, there was, there was really three people that, that had confidence in me. One was my girlfriend at the time, who's now the what my wife and daughter of my two beautiful girls, and she really believed in me, pushed me to do it. And then, really, in the spirit of my parents, and uh, specifically my dad, who was a huge, huge basketball fan, I just decided to go ahead with this with this idea and and push through. And I really thought it would it work. It would work, and uh, and it did. So. You know, we started the Basketball League in 2006, and we really positioned ourselves as the MBA of Recreational Basketball Leagues. At that time, when I looked at the landscape of Recreational Basketball Leagues, and I played in a number of them when I lived in New York, they were very much a one-hour-a-week experience. You go, you play your game, and you don't, you don't think about it till the previous week you show up and play your game again. But with Ultimate Hoops, I wanted to add an online experience that tracked all your stats, had photos, had video. Uh, so whether you played like Alan Arlt or played like Kobe Bryant, we were going to treat you like Kobe Bryant. Um, and it proved to be very, uh, very successful here in Minneapolis. Uh, the business was up for 18 months and then we were acquired by a company called Lifetime Fitness uh, here in America that runs really large scale resort like um, uh, health and fitness uh, facilities here, really unlike any other. Um, and it was a perfect fit for us because their basketball courts are immaculate, uh, high-end facilities, perfect floors, perfect lighting. So it was a great, great fit for us. So fast forward to today, we're now um, the largest national recreational basketball league in the nation. We connect teams and players in, in 25 U.S. markets today. And in the past year, we just rolled out our new basketball training products. So a lot going on. Um, the business is, is growing quickly and it becomes, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, even more important now at this stage to have the right people in your company and get people who are really passionate for your product in the organization. That's an amazing journey, right from the idea of throwing everything into the back of a car and heading off to NYC, <laughs> just right up to today. I mean, that is such an inspiring story. So first of all, congratulations on that. I think that's fantastic. And I just want to explore the idea around people because people are vital. And I think sometimes, and you, you may agree and you may have seen it yourself, but like, do you not think sometimes we just forget how important the right people are in our lives overall? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that was, it's, it's the most important thing. I mean, you can have the greatest product in the world. It can be the most innovative product in the world, but if you don't have the people behind it who actually believe in it, and can sell it and actually engage in the product yourself, you got to have that. It's a must have. Otherwise, it, it's not going to con con connect with the consumer the way you need it to. I think so many people, it's really random actually, because we'd not, we'd never spoken about this on Excellence Expected at all. And then in the last couple of episodes, I think it was Rune Soendahl who mentioned it. It yep. just kind of came up in passing. And it was something that he just said you need people with passion to believe in your business. And when we look back at some of the great successes, and again, we always pick on, we say Apple all the time on the show, but someone like Apple led by someone like Steve Jobs, who was 
so, so passionate, right down to people that are doing things like movement watches or polling watches that are very, you know, startup oriented. It's all about the passion. And I just want to ask this question, actually, Alan, why do you think, why do you think we always look for the check boxes on a CV or a resume? Why do you think we're so conditioned to do that? I think, you know, for me, Mark, personally, I mean, I didn't have this, uh, you know, vision or suddenly decide to hire on passion. I did it because I failed a lot, you know, and I think the assumption of any business or when you're starting out is to be, play it safe. Like you look at your organization's growing and you're like, okay, I have to suddenly now check all the boxes, make sure this person can do this, make sure they can do this, make sure they went to this school, make sure they had this GPA. And I started doing that. Uh, I started hiring people more on skill for passion because the passion part, I just falsely assumed that every person who wanted to join Ultimate Hoops had a passion for our product. And I realized that wasn't the case. And the negative of staffing a, a, a team that doesn't have passions for the product is that energy, that low passion will bleed into your products and your consumer will feel that. So the lesson I learned, again, is you need to establish a culture before you start scaling your organization. So for us, we now never hire uh, people on skill. It's always on passion. I mean, just an example, before I started Ultimate Hoops, I didn't make a list of all the skills I had and then suddenly said, okay, I guess I'm now qualified to start a company because I have all these skills. No, for me, it was I got excited about the mission. I got excited about the vision. And having that passion fueled me to learn the skills that I needed to to take this company to the next level. So if you have passion, you can learn anything. I love that. Really, really like that. And it was... I forget who it was, one of the early guests on the show had quoted something like confidence comes through competence. And the one thing missing from that quote is that the passion actually drives the ability to want to learn. You know, you want, if you're passionate about something, you are not learning it. You are immersing yourself in it. You are living it and it's becoming your entire lifeblood. And I think the passion side of any business just is felt, across the board. If you're a manager, you will feel it. If your employees have got it, if you're an employee, you will feel it. If your management team have got it. And it only takes someone, even just one culturally, not necessarily right person to be in that organization to kind of bleed some of that out. So I really get that idea. But one thing I want to just look at is how do you actually quantify that? How do you say to yourself in an interview environment, in a recruitment environment, how do I do this? Yeah, well, so for us, so the list that I talked about that I made, um, we actually created a culture slide that if you go to our website on Ultimate Hoops and click on our career page, we've actually, the list that I had originally was 25 or 30 things, which was way too many things. But now we've we've cut it down to eight. We call it the DNA of our all-star employees. And we have that slide on our career page. And then we actually, it's the first step to joining our organization is you, you fill out this form and we ask questions about why do you want to join Ultimate Hoops? When's the last time that you showed leadership qualities? What is the passion that you have for our products? Because to be honest, Mark, it's not so much for us. You know, yes, we want to filter through. We have the most passionate employees, but We want to make sure that we're looking out for the uh, prospective employee as well. We don't want to put them into an organization where they show up on day one and they're like, wow, 
this is not what I expected at all. Like there's a bunch of basketball freaks here and all they talk about is ultimate hoops. This is not what I was prepared for. So we want to make sure that they get a fair shot on the front end as well. So we make it very transparent and we ask questions on the front end. And then we're very diligent about our interview process. They talk to a number of people, not just here in the corporate office, but people in the field. So they really get a feel for what our, our organization is. But then on our side, we get to make sure that they're a good fit for us as well. Do you know what I really like about that, Alan, is the idea that you are, by virtue of making sure that they are happy and that they are in the right place for them, you're making sure that you guys get the right people. And so many organizations just, as you say, they'll go down this checklist. They'll say, okay, skill one, skill two, skill three, qualifications, one, two, and three. They must be right for us without any thought that they're right for the employee. And I think that's something that certainly... I guess in small to mid-sized business, that seems to be becoming more important. You know, it's this idea of culture. Is that is that something that you guys as Ultimate Hoops really focus on across the board, that culture? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you brought up a, a point. I mean, this isn't necessarily going to work for every single business. I mean, we're in the retail service industry and we're selling fun and we're selling experience. So our employees have to have that passion. They have to love it. Now, if 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 I ran a company for NASA and we were launching rockets, then no, I'm going to check the skill box a lot more than I would the passion <laughs> box. Yeah, you love to shoot rocket ships. Do you know how to do it? Well, you'll figure it out. No. So it's not going to work for every organization, but in a retail and a service environment, I think it's critically important that you really establish a culture and you get people in there who love your products because they're the ones that are going to be on the front line selling it. It's very, very difficult to make a distinction between this old, I guess, traditional way of thinking and this kind of new, I suppose, more millennial style thought process where it is about values and it's about ethics and it's about passions versus the traditional career path. I think for a lot of organizations, it can be quite tough to make that transition. Is that, as you were bought out, you know, you went into Lifetime Fitness, was that something that you were challenged by or did they have quite an open culture with that as well? Uh, you know, we're getting more open here at Lifetime Fitness. Certainly when when I landed here and, and some of the things that I talked about with Ultimate Hoops and how our business was different, a lot of people did uh, look at me a little bit funny about some of the things that I want to do from a cultural perspective. But um, the one person that certainly got it is the CEO of Lifetime Fitness, Brian McCrady. He is not only passionate about basketball, but he gets it too. You know, we're serving, we're trying to change the health and fitness industry here in America. So he more than anyone understands how important it is to have employees living and breathing the healthy way of life, lifestyle. And so it was a good fit from that end. But I think, you know, this whole culture thing is not only take, uh, taking time to establish itself in not just our company, but I think the broader landscape that it's just taking more time. But I think the more I read, the more I, I research, companies are starting to take hold of this. It really feels like they are. It, it feels as if, well, in fact, I frame it a different way. I remember working not too dissimilar to you, actually, Alan. I was sort yeah. of in corporate environments and so on and so forth, maybe 15 years ago. And I remember <laughs> we did... <laughs> I think we administered something like a pension scheme for one of the big communications providers in the UK. And I remember going to their office and everyone was so chilled out yep. and thinking to myself, what is going on here? This is not right. And yeah. now 
looking back, it was those guys that had got it right. And this old gray corporate stuffy environment is the, the environment that feels out of place these days. Is that, I mean, is that just a UK thing or are you guys seeing that in the US as well? No, we certainly see it here. You know, I think there's, there is some change in it. I think people are a little bit, a little bit nervous about it. Some people are still stuck in the sixties and seventies where you got to punch it at nine, you sit at your desk, you punch out at five o'clock and you're not productive unless you're sitting at your desk in front of your computer. And that's just not the case. I mean, the way that not only culture, but technology has taken off in the last 25 or 30 years, you can be productive really anywhere in the world um, with a laptop, cell phone. Um, And for us, you know, we don't want our employees sitting at our desks. We want them in the clubs. We want them in uh, basketball events. We want them people being out and being brand ambassadors uh, for us. And companies need to encourage that and embrace that and let go of that tether that's been holding them uh, for too long because, you know, consumers are very fickle and they want to be with the newest, uh, hippest, trendiest thing. And if you're not staying out in front of that, you're going to get ignored and that's going to hurt your business. You mentioned two words there that I think are really, really important in, in, in that that phrase actually is brand ambassadors. And when we say brand ambassadors, we it sort of conjures various different thoughts, particularly high-level corporates that employ someone to be a brand ambassador or customers that are that passionate about your product that they stop being advocates and they become effectively your spokesperson on social media and so on and so forth. But I really, really like that idea that yeah. why can't... Yeah. Every single employee be a brand ambassador. We, like, I've never thought about it like that. I love that. Yeah, social advocacy is so important these days. When I when I look through people joining our organizations, and if I see that they're highly engaged on Twitter, if they're highly engaged on Instagram, on Facebook, um, that's a win for me because the, you know, the channels that are ultimate hoops, social channels, do not connect with the same people that someone outside our organization, their circle is completely, completely different. So that's a win for me. And then what, if I see that same person being active in Twitter or social media about the company that they're in now saying what a great company that company is, those people are gold to me. Like I want those type of people working in an organization because one, they love their, their, their job. They love their, their products, their company, and they're spreading that message. Those type of people are just so valuable today. Absolutely. And it's such a transparent world as well that regardless of what your own beliefs are, people are going to talk about their experience with your business. And if they're employees, they're going to have a little whine on Facebook. They're going to be doing this. They're going to be doing that. And you, as an employee, as a brand, you don't want that. And I think it's important to just treat everyone as you'd expect to be treated and let their own passions flow. I, I find it really interesting that <clears throat> there's a big culture around letting people explore what they want to explore as well within a business. So like, for example, someone may come in on marketing, but then just come up with an idea of, well, listen, I, what about if we kind of tried doing this? the ability to let them run with an idea and develop it either in, in their own time or on company time and not be worried about that nine to five sat in front of a desk. That's the fake productivity. I think that is such a positive for business. It's, it's really, really important to me. 
Yeah, absolutely. And let's be honest, Mark, at the end of the day, I mean, we can talk about all the advantages, but the biggest advantages, it's just fun to work with people who are highly passionate, who want to disrupt the marketplace, who come into work, just want to be there with your product. I mean, that is just a fun, fun place to work and spend your time in uh, each day. Absolutely. It's why people move to Disney World to get jobs there. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, what we'll do just to uh, just to head into the next section of the show, Alan, is I want to just dial it back to basics. So if there are people out there that still feel like they're perhaps not hiring the right people in terms of the passion, or they're still, despite knowing that they need to do something different, they still don't know how to do that. I just want to look at the three actionable tips that you've put together. So can we dive into actionable tip number one, please, sir? Sure, absolutely. And, and some of these tips we've kind of touched on already, but I think it's good to have these, these down again. So tip one, uh, establish the type of culture you want to have and get very specific with the attributes you're looking for to drive your business. So I mentioned before, start, make a list of values you want in an employee that will drive success in your products. And as I mentioned before, for me, that list started with about 30 attributes that I was able to trim down to eight. But there's really no magic number. You just have to make sure it's relatable and digestible to the average person. You don't want to sound pretentious or too high level either. You want to, be, uh, you want to feel like you can actually relate to that, to that company as well. So that's, that's the first tip. Establish the culture you want and get very specific with the attributes you want of your employees. I love that. And one thing I just want to add to that, which is kind of a pet hit of mine that I think people can overcome is that these aren't words like the word professional or honest, because no one will ever turn up to your organization and just go, yeah, you know what? I am unprofessional and I'm dishonest. You know that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Who does that? So I think a lot of people will do this and they will do it kind of a little bit half-assed and they'll kind of say, well, yeah, we need professionalism. We need honesty. We need integrity. It's it, For me, that's not the right thing. It feels more around the culture and the belief system and the ethics and the values, the entire credo that any given company goes by. Is that, am I on the right tracks with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you can't just uh, make a list and, and hold it up there and just assume everyone's going to be that way. I mean, that's that's where the vetting process comes in. You have to follow up and make sure that that person is actually uh, the type of person you're you're looking for. So yeah, a lot of people can use smoke and mirrors and you get in an organization and you find out that they're not that right person. So the vetting process is critically important. Perfect. Love that. And the second actionable tip, sir? Yeah. So once you have your list, tip two is make your company culture completely 100% transparent. Uh, and this is, like I mentioned before, this is just as much for your prospective employees as it is for you. Uh, you want everyone out there to make sure that they understand the type of company that they will be joining so they can make the best choice for their for their next career uh, career path as well. So on our career page, I mentioned before on uhlife.com, you'll see the orange pinwheel that outlines the culture so applicants can, can determine if they're a good fit for them. And we really want people that match our cultural, cultural DNA is what we call it. So my tip is figure out what your cultural DNA is and be very, very transparent about it so people understand what your company is about. Do you know the cool thing about that is that it's it's all right to be transparent as well. I think there's a lot of business out there that still feels perhaps like there has to be this hierarchy, this whole kind of mystique around management and directorships and, you know, even just people that are just perhaps not managers, but maybe senior 
to the people beneath them. There's this whole hierarchy, which I think just, it's just a pain in the backside. And I love the idea that the the whole transparency runs right from the CEO, right down to whoever is coming in today to the business. I think that's so, so important to a business. Yeah. You don't want to be too bureaucratic. I mean, I try to keep the organization as flat as possible. Like, you know, I, my door is open all the time. I get some of the best ideas for the company is they don't come from me anymore. They come from people out in the field. They come from my team here in the corporate office. Uh, so yeah, you, you have to, you have to make sure that you have those type of people and you have to listen to them. So it's important. And the thing is with that as well, it's really it's a really positive scenario for both parties because obviously it gives the business the lifeblood that it needs. But it also empowers that employee, that team member to say, do you know what? I did that. I can turn up tomorrow and I can do something else. And I think that is so, so important, especially as we start to see this millennial generation starting to take control of important decisions within a business because people turn up to work to be valued and they want to see the impact they have. So I really like that idea. Yeah, I, I a hundred percent agree. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the third and final yeah. actionable tip, sir. Sure. Uh, tip three, you must continue to check in on your culture as well. So, so too many companies have a very diligent onboarding process, but once they've hired, they've just kind of left people on their own. And, and if you do that, people have a tendency to drift away from what your company culture is. So I tell people a great company culture is like a plant. You have to take care of it. You have to water it. You have to prune it. You know, it is a living, breathing thing. And you have to continue to check in and make sure that your cultural DNA is spreading down through your organization. So Keep watering it. Uh, and your department meetings talk about your culture. And your emails talk about your culture. On social media, highlight your culture. Like it's not something that you just hire people for and say, here's the manual, go to it. Like you have to keep reinforcing it and you have to keep reinventing new things to keep your culture um, as strong and as vibrant as it can be. I really, really like the idea. And it especially resonates the idea that people, you just can't give them a manual and say, you know, get cracking. But that's what happens. I remember turning up to a job, the last kind of full-time employment job that I had for someone else a long time ago and being faced with a ring binder. And I'm talking like a literal, a literal representation of what you just said and basically saying, learn about the company. And that was it. I was finished. I had two years at that company, but they ended on day one. It was awful. And yep. It's such an amazing thing. But the other thing that you mentioned there, Alan, which I find really inspiring is the idea that it's this living, breathing culture. And I draw a parallel to the kind of marketplaces that we're in because customers, consumers, marketplaces, they change, they evolve. And in business, so many people forget to do that with them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, what's, what's great for culture, you know, Today will not be the same two or three years from now. You know, the the uh, employees are changing, technology is changing, um, the very shape of what your business and your products are changing. You know, you may have a new idea for a product and you may understand this is a great product. Now, who are the type of people we need to drive this product uh, to the consumers? And it may take a different, uh, a different set of uh, passion and skills that you need. So, uh, you always have to stay open to new ideas. Again, if you have the same culture 10 years from now, if this pinwheel is still there 10 years from now and it hasn't changed a little bit, then we're doing something wrong. 
Absolutely. And that's a fantastic place to put a pin in that, actually. And this has been such an amazing chat. I've really, really enjoyed that. It's something that is very, very close to my heart and obviously very close to yours as well. So thanks so, so much for joining me on that, Alan. Mark, thank you. It's been my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. And just before we wrap up, actually, would you mind just telling the listeners where they can connect with you online, please, sir? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm um, active on Twitter at Alan Arlt. Uh, I have my own website as uh, as well, alanarlt.com. Um, I'm also very active on Instagram, but I will warn you, there are a lot of pictures of my kids up there. So fair warning, if you want to go and follow <laughs> me there, you'll see a lot of my kids there. But those are the, the, the uh, three main areas I'm most focused on. Check them out, guys. It'll be well worth it. Go ahead and take a look. And listen, Alan, it's been such a pleasure. And for you guys listening out there, I'm sure you've really, really enjoyed it and can take something away from that episode. Don't forget that I'll put all of the show notes over at excellence-expected.com. And whilst you're over there, remember you can grab your free copy of the essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. Thanks as ever for joining me. And until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.